Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. I want to thank the Holdsworths for sharing their story. In the next number of weeks, as we start a new series, we're going to be hearing from you and uh, hearing how God has affected uh, your hearts when it comes to generosity in light of the gospel. So looking forward to that. This marks the first series in a new series called Generous, the Open Hands of the Gospel. And what we really want to look at is what, what ha, uh, this really a biblical overview of, 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 of of what God says about money and possessions. And so we want to discover that together. I'm sure it's not going to be comfortable at every moment along the way for us. But, um, but here's the thing. Jesus spoke more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined. And if you read through the Gospels, we actually see Jesus talking about heaven and hell quite a bit. But Jesus spoke more about money than heaven and hell combined. And here's the reason I think that he did that, is that Jesus is always after our hearts, isn't he? Like every time we, we see Jesus talking with a crowd, talking with an individual, speaking, preaching, he's always after the heart of the matter and the hearts of the people who are hearing him. And I believe that the reason he talked about money more than anything else was precisely because our hearts love to chase money. Our hearts are often so wrapped up in the things of money and possessions. And so, because Jesus is after the heart, he talked about it a lot. And so if we want to be a faithful gospel church, here's what we need to do. If Jesus talked about it on a regular basis, we need to actually go there once in a while. So as uncomfortable as it is, if we want to be faithful to, to, to Jesus and his word, if he talks about it, we have to talk about it. Because that's simply what it means to be faithful there's a saying that would say at the dinner table, you know, you shouldn't talk about money, sex, or politics. Well, here we are, and we're going to talk about money for a number of weeks, so we're breaking some social norms here. Uh, I think that's going to be uncomfortable for some of us, um, and yet I think for us it's, it's important to do. If you're new with us here, I just want to say you're invited along in sort of a church family conversation, but hopefully you can also hear something of what the Bible would, would say and call us all to in terms of, of, of giving. For me, when I talk about generosity, I don't want you to hear that that always equates to you tithing at the church, that everything has to do with that. I think it's certainly incorporated into that. We see that in the faithfulness of the churches um, supplying their needs in the New Testament. Yet, that's not my end goal here. So if there's a cynic in the room, you would say, all right, what are you trying to do? You're trying to boost the budget somehow, or you know, what's, what's, the, what's the real purpose of all of this, right? And and I would say to you, I'm, I'm too new to this lead pastor thing to be that savvy. Uh, I, I, I really don't think, I don't personally gain anything from it. Let me tell you that I actually think it puts more onus on myself. Like, how am I able to call you to something that I'm not willing to go there to? So the, the fact that you're hearing me talk about this is, is the fact that uh, I feel conviction around this. So as I preach to you in the... The next number of weeks, I want you to know that for the last number of weeks, I've already been studying this biblical theme of generosity and money and possessions, and I've been feeling great conviction in my life and also great stirrings of joy, because I actually think that we're, we're, when we broach this subject matter, we're tapping into um, something really foundational, that when the gospel affects our lives, when, when our lives, when our, our bodies are baptized, you know what goes underwater too? You know what gets sanctified too? Our wallets. It affects every part of us, the whole being. 
And so I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that these sermons are for me and I'm bringing you along. <laughs> I want you to hear that there's no ulterior motives here, but I actually feel that there's, a, there's an onus on me to actually model this for you myself. And so I can't ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. Um, I also want to let you know, as I did a little bit of research going into this, that um, uh, I, I've discovered that at least with last year's census in Chilliwack, the median household income, so you find that middle line of, uh, of what the median household income is in Chilliwack, it, it was $64,000 last year. Um, that's the median household income. That would put us in the richest 1% of people in the world. Um, and to be honest, I think that our, our median household income in, in this church is greater than that because I don't think we have consistently the same levels of poverty that exist in Chilliwack represented in our church. So what do you think that means about the, the median level of income? I would say that that at least puts us in the top point something percent of richest people in the world. In fact, to make $64,000, it would take the average laborer in Indonesia 66 years to earn that. But that's the annual median household income. I was talking with uh, a, um, a gentleman. We went for lunch this week. He works for Compassion Canada. and We were just talking about our partnership together uh, in ministry. Central is partnered with Compassion Canada, and he was talking about some, some pastors that went to uh, a country in South America, and, and a, a young boy was, was uh, pretty amazed with one of the pastor's shoes. Um, he just thought his runners were really, really nice, but I guess he, he, asked, he was surprised that they weren't a certain brand he expected that everybody wore in North America. I assume that's Nike or something like that, and the pastor sort of flippantly said, oh, you know, I've got a pair of those in my closet. And this young boy's eyes just bulged. You have two pairs of shoes? Well, to the pastor's dismay is that he has probably a dozen pairs of shoes. <laughs> Did you know that if you have a pair of shoes, let alone two pairs of shoes, you are among the wealthiest people on the planet? We are extravagantly rich people, you and I. Central, we are extravagantly rich people. But can I be honest with you? I'm not sure that many of us are extravagantly generous people. So, here goes a series. We're going to look at Psalm 67. Um, it, it's sort of the, uh, where we're our landing spot this morning, although we're going to really try and... Here, here's a good, good goal. We're going to try and tackle the Old Testament regarding money and possessions this morning. And then in the, the following four weeks, we'll look at a couple of the statements Jesus said about money. We'll look at a passage in Acts, and then we'll look at a passage in 2 Corinthians. So we're trying to take a, a, a just sort of a broad look at what the Bible says about money. I would say we're taking off the biggest bite this morning and trying to summarize what the Old Testament says, but we'll, we'll land on Psalm 67. Let, let me read it to you, and I'll kind of map out where we'll go with this this morning. So welcome to this series that will probably be a little prickly, but I think it's for our good and for our joy. In fact, the purpose for this for me is that you will discover more joy in your faith via how you treat and view money and possessions than you've ever had before. That's my goal, that we would find more joy. And I think we can do it if we give ourselves to these truths. Psalm 67 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face to shine upon us. Salah. When it says Salah, a lot of times in the Psalms, it's just pause, reflect, look back at the previous statement, dwell on it, rejoice in it, give God praise for it. Just pause and meditate on that word. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Salah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Amen. What a passage. I think um, that'll re- that's really summarized in the third point. of. Uh, uh, so if you have a, a bulletin, why don't you flip it around? There's, there's some fill in the blanks there. I want to sort of set the stage and then we'll dwell on this psalm during our third point. So here's the first couple, though, we need to set, set up that we see in the scriptures. First, material possessions are a good gift from God meant for his people to enjoy. We're going to open up Genesis chapter 1 and take a look, and we will see that material possessions are a good gift from God meant for his people to enjoy. That's our starting place. Secondly, though, here's a warning, trust in money and possessions is a means of turning human hearts from God. Trust in money and possessions is a means of turning human hearts from God. There's a danger, there's a warning. This is why Jesus spoke of it so often. Our hearts are easily wander from Jesus when they get wrapped up in money and possessions and trust in it. And thirdly, lastly, blessing from God is for a purpose. And that purpose is to generously bless the nations. Psalm 67 is really a great commission kind of a psalm that the nations may know of, of Jesus. So bless, blessing from God is for a purpose, and that purpose is to generously bless the nations. Why don't we pray together, and then we'll get going. Father God, thank you so much that you have lavished your blessing on us in so many ways, including um, when it comes to money and possessions. I say thank you, Lord, uh, because you have been so good to us in that regard here in the Western Church. And yet, God, I am more and more convinced that as I read your scriptures and and take a look at how much you have lavished blessing on us here in this place and time, that there is an enormous responsibility that comes with this. So, God, as we study your word, I pray that you would soften our hearts towards you. You would loosen our grips on our wallets, on our time, on our possessions, on our lives. And view all of these things as opportunities to further your kingdom. God, a heart affected by the gospel is generous in so many ways because we see how generous you have been to us. So God, in light of the gospel, we want to look into these things and be faithful. I praise you for this church, the work you've given us to, and the opportunities that lie before us. God, would you convict our hearts where we need it, encourage us and challenge us, I pray. And Lord, may we get more joy as we discover that this is really living, how we, how we treat these things. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the starting place, as I said in point number one, is that material possessions are a good gift from God meant for his people to enjoy. So what that means is that money's not bad. Sometimes we, 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 we don't handle these kinds of things well or rightly, and so we sort of swiftly want to say, this thing is bad. Money is bad, right, we would say. No, money isn't bad. In fact, money isn't even ambiguous, that it's just sort of an item. And it's, the money possesses material things. They're not ambiguous. They're not bad, and they're not ambiguous. They're not just things. They're actually good things. So we can see that here. Look at Genesis chapter 1. God creates... 
And from the get-go, as God creates, we see this pattern in Genesis chapter 1. After every major stage of creation, he summarizes with a statement. We see it first in Genesis 1, verse 10. And God saw that it was good. So God made material things. He made the world. He created things. God looked at everything he made and saw that it was good. Land, animals, resources, people. Genesis 31, 31 says, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. He created these, these wonderful things and he called them good. These are good things. They're not bad things. They're not ambiguous things. They are good things created by the very hand of God. And the blessing and abundance of the garden were created for humans to enjoy. We can pick this theme up um, in 1 Corinthians 6.17 where it says God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so... Um, there's this, this understanding we need to have from the get-go that material possessions are a good thing, a good gift from God meant for his people to enjoy. And that's a really critical starting place. Christianity is unique in that we aren't trying to, to reach some state of nirvana or dualism where the material is bad and we want to reach some disembodied state of bliss apart from our physical bodies and this material world. That's not the goal of Christianity. We're embodied. We are given bodies. We are put on a physical planet that God made and we are meant to enjoy it. God created the world around us and called it good and it's to be enjoyed. Not only that, our future is an embodied future. There will be an eternal city and it will be a physical city and there will be streets there and there will be trees there and that's our eternity. So we're not meant to have some sort of, reach some state of nirvana where there's some spiritual state apart from our physical bodies that we're meant to reach and that's better bliss. No, in the, in the present, in the physical, there's good around us and we are meant to appreciate those things rightly and see that our present and our future will be spent in it. Jesus has a physical resurrected body and we will too. See, God has richly provided us everything to enjoy and yet um, we need to understand this. Money is, is, is a good thing and it's to be enjoyed. Sex is a good thing, and to be enjoyed. Food is a good thing, and to be enjoyed. So God created all these things, and they're good, and that's the starting place. And yet, our culture, though, um, is addicted to these things as ends and not means. And so we need to kind of uh, wrap our, our minds and hearts around this truth. Um, our culture is addicted to these things uh, as ends, money as ends, sex as ends, not means. So that, that what I mean by that is we think that ultimate satisfaction can come in these created things and these things that are good, but they're not ultimate good. God is ultimate good. And so when we place our ultimate trust in these things, that these things will ultimately satisfy us, we're missing the point. See, your next vacation isn't an end. That dream home isn't an end. A certain dollar figure in your bank account isn't an end. It won't bring ultimate satisfaction and hope, right? You won't get everything that your heart longs for in those things. Those are just means. They're all meant to point to the ends. Material possessions are good gifts from God, meant to be enjoyed, but as means for enjoying God. A number of years ago, I was actually at a Cyrus Center fundraiser. And there were these Canuck tickets that were for the eighth row behind the, the players' bench, the Canucks' players' bench. And so that's a whole different experience for me. And I was like, maybe I will bid on these and go to this game and get a unique perspective. Well, I placed the first bid, and from there it was 
like just beyond my means. <laughs> it, it, was, it wasn't happening. I was not getting those tickets. But I, I guess somebody there had noticed that I placed a bid, and so what they did, unbeknownst to me, is they, they, they got in a bidding war and they won these tickets. And what happened next was he just grabbed the envelope and just a little later in the evening quietly walked up and just put it in my hands. And so I took a friend with me and I went to the eighth row of this Canucks game and there I was and I could hear the players talking to each other. And I, like, I had never been in that circumstance. I was, I'm, I'm, if I've gone to a Canucks game, it's like upper, upper deck, right? And you're there and you don't hear anything but um, the belligerent fans beside you. And so, uh, but in this instance, I could actually hear the players talking on the players bench and the coach. I could hear them swearing at each other, right? Usually when you're watching hockey on TV, you just see that, the, you do the lip reading and you know what's going on. No, no, I could hear this, right? I could actually hear uh, hockey trash talk, and uh, like right there, because that, that's where those seats were. But can I tell you something? As I was there over and over again, you know what I thought? What a gift that somebody gave these tickets to me. I just kept thinking back to the man who gave me these tickets and just was so amazed, right? What a, what a generous thing. So my, my joy, even in that game and taking it in, was always kept going back to the giver of the gift. I don't know about you, but right, when you have that meal that's like the meal of all meals, right? You cut into that steak. I mean, this is why vegetarians are, aren't as, as deep of Christians as the rest of us. is because, <coughs> because their salad just doesn't do the same thing. <laughs> like you take that bite of that steak and just the flavors and you're just like, you're just, like, it's just incredible, right? And you're just like, this is living, right? This is, this is like a good thing, right? You're having a meal and you're just like, this is incredible and it's amazing. But you know what? All of this stuff, all of the way that we treat these things, if money comes our way, if a gift comes our way, if blessing comes our way, the ability to do particular jobs comes our way that bring in particular incomes, all of that's blessing from God. It's all meant for our hearts to be just warmed back to God saying thank you God for this thank you God for that I'm loving this experience thank you that the sun is shining like summer in the middle of April Lord thank you for your creation thank you that as your sun hits my skin the the actual seasonal depression is lifting from me and I'm actually finding great joy in sitting in the sun it feels so great I praise you God all of these things the material world are means and they're good things and the end is meant to be glorifying God for every single one of them. It's really critical for us to see. But if we treat means, good things, as ends, if we treat the things in our lives or the things we're longing for or coveting as ultimate things, we will live lives of poverty. There will be poverty in our hearts because they won't ultimately satisfy us. These good things are meant to turn our hearts and affections toward God. They're good things meant to be enjoyed as means for enjoying God. But oftentimes we get it wrong, which leads to the second point. Trust in money and possessions is a means of turning human hearts from God. We see it over and over again in the scriptures, and I would argue we see it over and over and over again um, in our culture today. Very few things steal our affections from God like money. Would you agree? Even some of the young ones are already learning this, observing this, knowing this. Very few things steal our affections from God like money. And it's, there's a warning to be had here. You don't have to go far in the scriptures to see this happen. Um, 
We see with, with um, Cain and Abel in, in Genesis chapter 4, Abel tends to livestock and he gives of the very best. He gives a sort of a first fruits blessing. He gives of the best that he has. Abel's offering is generous and costly and the best of his possessions. Cain, on the other hand, who tends to the agriculture, gives this grain offering and he's just, he's, you can tell his heart, he's, he's giving what he feels like he should and what's required and he's, he doesn't find any joy in it and he's simply doing it out of duty and, and his response reveals his heart. Then God blesses Abel and we see more of Cain's heart. He's so mad that what? That Abel gave generously to God and joyfully and, a, and, and Cain is jealous and goes out and kills his brother. The Israelites are freed from Egypt and as they're wandering um, and grumbling, God promises that he will feed them daily. Manna, uh, bread from heaven will come and be provided for them daily. And he instructs them, don't worry, all you need to do is collect all you need for the day because I will provide more tomorrow. I will provide more the next day. But what happens? Many people gather more. They don't trust God in his generosity. And so they gather more and they keep it for the morning because they think, I don't know if he's going to come through. And in the morning, the extra they kept that they shouldn't had turned to worms. Right? And, 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 and God says, don't go out on the Sabbath because I want you to take a day of rest as I took a day of rest. Don't go out on the Sabbath. The day before the Sabbath, collect double that day, what you carry over will be sustained and you can have it. Well, what happens? A bunch of people go out on the Sabbath thinking, I'm going to get more. I'm going to make sure that I'm stockpiled. And they go out, well, there's none there. And God says, why? I told you I wouldn't. And I told you not to do this on the Sabbath. Trust me. I will give you what you need. And yet the bent is, our hearts around this stuff is, I don't know. I don't trust you. I'm going to pad my own kingdom. I'm going to build my own kingdom. We see this happen when the Israelites enter into the promised land. In Joshua, we see this with a man named Achan. Is that they... Um, they take over a land and they're not supposed to take the possessions for themselves, but Achan grabs silver and gold and clothing, buries it under his tent. He's got a little stash. He wants to keep it. He wasn't supposed to. It's extra that he was never told not to keep for himself, but he's, his heart had a propensity towards shiny things like gold and really, really nice cloaks. So he took those things for himself against God's will, buried them. We see uh, in an interesting book of the Bible called Job, where Job is a very righteous man, and God allows really destruction to come upon Job's life, and he loses everything. Well, towards the end of the book of Job, Job's reflecting, and he's saying, why has all this come about? Have, have I done something wrong? And one of the things he reflects on in Job 31 is this. He says, if I have put my trust in gold or said to pure gold, you are my security, if I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands had gained, so that my heart was secretly enticed, then these would be sins to be judged, for I would have been unfaithful to God on high. He reflects back and says, I, if, if I put my trust in money, if I put my trust in wealth, that ought to be judged by God. But he's reflecting and saying, no, I haven't. And yet, how many of us trust in what we can stack away what we can put away, what we can keep for a rainy day. Right? There's wisdom in stewardship, but many of us want to control the terms. We, we don't need to even want to worry about trusting in God to provide because we have so stored for ourselves everything we could need. How many of us trust our bank accounts for our provision more than God 
himself. Jeremiah verse 23 puts it this way. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise boast in his wisdom. Let let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Don't boast in wealth. Don't boast in riches, he declares. And yet does our culture not boast in these very things? I mean, the whole hip-hop genre, by the way, is really all about boasting and riches. As far as I know, at least most of the songs that I've ever heard, is just boasting about your stuff and what you've got. That's what the songs are, over and over and over again. Now I've got this. Now my rims are this much bigger. Like, it's just, right? And, like, the bling around my neck is, is this many carats of gold. You know, it's just craziness. And yet, that's the way it is for all of us. If you're driving in town or if you're driving on the highway, you're bombarded with advertisements. Buy this, you will be satisfied. This is what real riches are. This is what you need to have. This is what you need to get. In fact, when I go onto theology websites online, I, I have banner ads on the sides. I mean, I can't, I can't read the scriptures online without ads. We're bombarded with it everywhere. And the question I, we have to ask ourselves is, the culture is boasting in riches. Are we more, more influenced about what, what, how God views money and possessions or the world around us? Because we are certainly bombarded with advertising that would say and a mindset that would say, attain all of this and you will be happy. The culture today boasts in riches and yet the scriptures like Jeremiah 9 say, do not boast in riches, boast in the Lord. 1 Timothy 6.17 summarizes it this way, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, have it like an arrogance to them about their money, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Put your hope on God. Don't count on riches. Don't count on what you can accrue for yourself at all, because money and possessions are fleeting things, and these fleeting things dangerously lurk to steal our affections away from Christ. See, the only real securities, there's these, these real deep idols underneath the, the idolatry of money. There's, there's idols throughout the Old Testament. People would actually build these physical idols and then they'd worship them. We, we may not build them like that today and yet we, we suffer from idolatry as well, which would be worshipping the created things rather than the creator. We suffer from them today. Money is an idol, but there, I think there are deeper idols, these idols of power or approval or comfort or control. So when money comes into it, see, we think, well, if I can... It, um, if I can get money, it'll give me power over others. So you want that or approval. If I can spend my money this way and get these clothes or these items or have these items in my house or get these things because they have them, maybe I'll get approval. And so money is this, this, this idol in our lives that, that really serves an even greater idol, which is we want to use these things to have what the Joneses have and so we want, because we want approval. And so we spend money extravagantly on ourselves for others' approval. Or maybe the idol is comfort that we want emotional and physical comfort more than anything. So we spend on ourselves to cushion our lives, to create a life of ease, because what we want more than anything, well, we want comfort. And so we spend on ourselves frivolously in order to feel more comfortable. Or maybe it's control we want. We may gain a lot of money, but we're not spending much of it. We live modest lives, but why? Well, because there's still an idol there, and that idol is control. We save it so we feel secure. We find our security in a certain dollar value in our account, or whatever the case may be. Idolatry surrounds us when it comes to money, and our hearts go there. Our hearts are so susceptible to go there. 
these securities that we're actually longing for are only truly satisfied in Jesus. His power is made perfect in weakness, not our strength. So seeking power outside of Christ is a feeble effort. The approval that matters most is not the approval of others, but God's approval by way of his son Jesus. We are a found approved in Christ, more approved in Christ than we could in spending any amount of money on ourselves to gain approval of others. The greatest approval of all is in Jesus and he offers it to us there's no comfort greater than being in God's will this is something that many of us don't believe we think that spending on ourselves will bring us the greatest possible comfort in this life but the greatest possible comfort that will come in this life is our lives entrusted back to him and the deeper peace and joy that surpasses understanding and lasts for eternity the things we can actually take with us for eternal life. And lastly, the Christian life is one of surrender, not control, trying to control things with our money. The whole thing about discipleship is that it's about surrender. It's discipleship is a life of submission and obedience, handing Jesus the reins. That's the very opposite of control. See, money and possessions can't fill our lives with the kind of deep satisfaction that we're after because they only find their true fulfillment in Christ. But can I tell you, we are searching for them in so many other places. The book of Proverbs, here we're just blazing through little, little sections here and there in the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs is full of wisdom, right? Pithy little sayings over and over and over again that, that really um, are, are really, really wise words, wise truths. There's only one prayer in, the, in, in Proverbs, and it comes in Proverbs 30 in verse 8, where the writer says, there's two things that I ask of you, and here's the only prayer in this, this book full of wisdom. It says this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. That's the great prayer in the Proverbs. God, don't make me rich. Because then I'll, I'll, I'll think I have no need for you. I know my heart will do that. If you make me rich, God, I'll think, Oh, I don't need God. Look how good my life is. Look how secure I am in my stuff in all that I have accrued for me. And don't make me poor, because then I might be in a situation where I'll have to steal and break your law, break your commandments. So Lord, don't give me that either. What the prayer is, is either way there's risk and temptation for our hearts with great wealth or poverty. And so it's a prayer for needs met, not greeds. That's the great wise prayer of Proverbs. Don't give me my greeds, please, God. Give me my needs. Well, what does Jesus teach his disciples when he teaches them to pray? Pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me what I need. If you're praying it at night, give me what I need for tomorrow. Or if you're praying it in the morning, give me what I need for this day. It's a manna prayer. Lord, will you provide for me my needs met today? That's my prayer. That's my great ask of you. That is biblical prayer, Old Testament and New Testament, when it comes to things like money and possessions. Give me all that I need, Lord, for today. God's redemptive purpose, lastly, always has a global purpose. Look at this third point. Blessing from God is for a purpose, and that purpose is to generously bless the nations. We have to ask the question is, why are we so rich here today? Why this church in the West at this day, this time, this place, with these resources, why? Because God's sovereign. He's, he's made it this way. This is our present circumstance why? I think Proverbs 67 answers that for us as well as the Great Commission. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the nations praise you. All the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, right? Resources have come. God or God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Do you hear the purpose in our blessings? It's to bless the nations, to tell of Christ's saving power, to bless others out of the blessings we've been entrusted with, to be used for the expansion and proclamation of the kingdom. This is why he's done it. In the Old Testament, they would pray for monetary blessing. We are not the people of Israel. I just have to say that as a quick sidebar. We're not the people of Israel where there is a covenant made that actually says, I will bless you financially, richly, with with lands and all sorts of things. We don't have that blessing on us, that specific Israel blessing. That was their specific blessing, and they would bless the nations, the foreigner, the alien, the sojourner, the widow, the orphan. They would keep areas of the land that God gave them to them in his generosity that they wouldn't even harvest so that the poor could come and eat it. That was all meant to take place. Our blessing is fuller, though. It's not a guarantee of, you give $10 to the church, he's going to give you 100 back. That's not New Testament blessing. New Testament blessing is this. It's full blessing. There is blessing, but it's this full blessing in Christ that as we bless others, as we go about the Great Commission of reaching the nations, and we have the resources to do it, he will lavish his blessing on us so fully. We will get joy. Our needs will certainly get met. But he will lavish blessing upon us. I love this psalm because it actually simultaneously does two things. If we give to the great cause and mission on the earth to reach people with the gospel, to give everything of ourselves to do it, he first protects our hearts against idolatry because we we recognize why we've been given much. And he protects our hearts against idolatry because he says, you're to use it to fuel kingdom ministry. That's the purpose. That's why I've placed you here. That's why I've given you so much. Not to spoil yourselves, but to spend yourselves on kingdom work. That's why I've done it. And when we give to that cause, it protects us from the idolatry that can come from storing it all up for ourselves. So it protects us from that, as well as contributes to the, uh, to the nations, with, to reaching the nations with the gospel. See, God has given us all he has, not so we'll spoil ourselves, but He's given us all he has so we can bless the world. We've been blessed on purpose for a purpose. I called it that. I know it's redundant, but I want us to hear it. God blessed you monetarily. God blessed you with freedoms here. God has blessed you so lavishly, and it's for a purpose. It's on purpose. And can I tell you what it is? It's to go and make disciples of all nations. God, would you bless us and be gracious to us so that we can reach the lost. And when we think, Look, if we step back for a moment, in Chilliwack there are over 50,000 people who need to hear the gospel, who aren't a part of a church, who need to be reached. You know how one of the ways that we can do that as the church and matter to the community is that where there are practical needs to, to get met, the church steps in. That's why we partner together with the Cyrus Center. In light of the gospel, it only makes sense that the orphans have shelter. And so as a church, we've endeavored to invest financially, Cyrus Center. We partner with them. We ask you to serve and volunteer there and make meals. We ask that of you. Why? 
For the church to matter in this community, the orphans still need to get taken care of. For the church to matter in this community where there's a need in your neighborhood and in mine, that we quietly go about meeting needs. It speaks of the gospel. We proclaim Jesus and we, we give to the ministry of the church locally so that people can hear the gospel proclaimed. So we can matter to this community. You know what else? There are um, over 1,800 languages in the world that do not yet have even a chapter of the Bible translated into their language. Over 1,800 languages do not have the word of God in their language. And do you know that now, as much as ever or more, there are Christians in other parts of the world facing harsh persecution and martyrdom? And so, here we are. Do you think, as Canadian Christians, we're expected to relieve the burdens of the global church and exponentially further the mission? I believe we are. I believe that's precisely why he's blessed us so richly. We've been given freedom that many people don't have. We've been given opportunities that many people don't have. We've been given material and physical and spiritual abundance that a lot of people around the world simply do not have. And in Luke 12, verse 48, Jesus says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will be demanded the more. I believe that as we give to other people's needs, we will get great joy. I believe that as we give ourselves to reaching our communities and the nations for Jesus, we won't go hungry <laughs> to do it. We won't get as many of the flashy things we'd love to get for ourselves, but we'll reach the nations for Jesus. And so I asked a really pointed question, which do you prefer? An LED screen in the sixth room in your house? <laughs> or to reach the nations for Jesus? A luxurious car or a car and reaching the nations? Dinner out five days a week or dinner out one day a week and reach the nations? Look, I'm not asking anything of you that I'm not asking of myself. But there's a principle I want to close with here because we're talking about the Old Testament this morning. And this is where it's going to get awful uncomfortable here this morning. In the Old Testament, there was a practice for the people of Israel. God was going to monetarily bless them. He was going to bless them richly so they could be a blessing to other nations. But they were to tithe, and it was mandated law. Give 10% was the law. If you're a poor Israelite, give 10%. If you're a rich Israelite, give 10%. There was this mandate, give. But in fact, there were actually every three years, they were meant to give even more in certain ways. And every seven years, they were to relieve certain debts. And so they're giving even more. In many cases, the law would actually stipulate that people give 23% in the Old Testament. Well, how does that equate to us as Christians might be a question we'd have. Well, Timothy Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, responded this way. He said, there have been times when people have come to me as their pastor and asked about tithing, giving away a tenth of their annual income. In fact, the word tithe means a tenth. They noticed that in the Old Testament, there are many clear commands that believers should give away 10%. But in the New Testament specific, quantitative requirements for giving are less prominent. They often ask me, you don't think that now in the New Testament, believers are absolutely required to give away 10%, do you? I shake my head no, and they give a sigh of relief. But then I quickly add, I'll tell you why you don't see the tithing requirement laid out clearly in the New Testament. Think. Have we received more of God's revelation, truth, and grace than the Old Testament believers or less? 
usually there's uncomfortable silence. Are we more debtors to grace than they were or less? Did Jesus tithe his lifeblood to save us, give a tenth? Or did he give it all? Tithing is a minimum standard for Christian believers. We certainly wouldn't want to be in a position of giving away less of our income than those who had so much less of an understanding of what God did to save them. Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, summarized the same truth this way. God, do you really expect less of me who has your Holy Spirit within and lives in the wealthiest society in human history than you demanded of the poorest Israelite? In light of the cross, in light of the grace of the gospel, that's what we stand in. Is it less that we would want to give back to God? So here's the troubling numbers. Using the median household income in Chilliwack, which I said was low for us here at Central, 9% of those who tithe at Central give 10% of their income. 9%. 9% of households in, Chilo- in Central that actually give, I, we have no record of, any, of, of other families who give nothing. 9% of our church families give 10%. The rest is less. 40% of givers, of household Household giving here at Central is less than $1,000 a year. So in terms of base faithfulness of tithe, 40% of our our households are making $10,000 a year, I suppose. The purpose of this series isn't to guilt you into a thing, into anything. The purpose of this series is that I think we have opportunity to be extravagantly more generous than we are. The purpose of the numbers, the purpose of these statements is not to pad central and do big things in the building. We want to reach the nations for Jesus. We want to have more church plants. We want to have more translations. We want more people of the Bible. We want more people called out. And as they go to do global missions, that the church is saying, "That's, that's no big deal at all to back you to do that. And for us to reach the nations for Jesus, we see it clearly. It's more comfortable to turn a blind eye to these things. And yet I am convinced that what Jesus has in store for us here at Central is really exciting. What it is is that he's going to give us more joy as we go about being faithful to the mission that he has set before us. Can I get an amen to that? I believe that there is far more joy for our lives to experience in realizing some of this, discovering some of this, And literally, nations will be reached for Jesus if we can. So let me pray, and we're going to respond with a song. And I'm going to pray Psalm 67 over us again. Oh Lord, God, may God, may you be gracious to us and bless us, I ask that. And make your face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth. Lord, may your saving power be known among all nations. We want to reach people for Jesus. Lord, I love that, that, that our mission here at Central is so much bigger than we could ever attain. And I think that's the right place to be, a place of faith, saying, Lord, today, how will you provide for us and where should we go? Lord, how should we reach needs in our community? Lord, how should we reach the ends of the earth? That is our mandate as a church. Lord, I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited about what you're doing in my life, Lord, that I'm actually discovering, I'm finding more joy in saying, Lord, take this, please, take more. Discovering this week, Lord, that this year my car insurance will be less. So what should I do with that extra 40 bucks a month? Lord, may our hearts be wrapped up in giving 
um, to your kingdom, you actually declare, Lord, we're going to look at it next week, that even as Christians, you will give a hundredfold of what we give here. You will give a hundredfold in this present age and for all eternity. It won't be simply monetarily, but Lord, you will fill our hearts with such joy. With, as we give ourselves to generosity, Lord, I just know we will find more of what it, what it means to be all-in disciples of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I'm excited about this. I know it's prodding at us. But God, I pray that you would smash our idols around this. That together as a church, we would find great joy in reaching this community and the ends of the earth with the gospel and the furthering of your kingdom. Lord, that's what you've placed us here and lavish blessing on us for. I believe it. I trust it. And I know it. So I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.